0: Welcome to the Hills. If you're in person at West Foot Worth or South Lake Campus, here at the North Richmond Hills Campus, or watching online across the country, and especially if you're watching somewhere in Texas, can I just say, did any of us think 2020 was going to last for 14 months? <laughs> wow. Uh, I have lived in Texas almost all my life, and I don't ever remember a week of weather issues like this last week. It was cold. It was so cold, I saw youth ministers wearing socks. It was that cold. And you know, we laugh because sometimes we were just in situations where all we could do was make the best of it. I know a lot of you had a really hard week, and I'm so sorry. Whether it was loss of power, loss of water, health issues, I know it was hard, and some of you are dealing with very legitimate and serious damage to your homes and properties, and I am just so sorry. We've experienced the same thing here at our church with our facilities. Uh, Our West Fort Worth campus had water pipes break in the children's area, and we're going to have to address that. The new property that we bought that the Southlake campus will move to also had water pipes break, and so there's damage there that we will have to address. If you're at North Richard Hills and wondering why the temperature seems to be fluctuating, it's because uh, pipes in our cooling system have burst, and we are compromised in our ability to control the temperature. But, you know, buildings are not the mission. Buildings are just a tool to help us with the mission and what thrilled me most last week was to see so many stories of so many people in this church living on mission I saw stories of the way you reached out to your neighbors whether it was taking water or blankets or giving them a warm place to stay or fixing them a warm meal we were able as a church to bless our community Our North Richland Hills facility was a warming station working with the city of North Richland Hills and the police. uh, We were able to provide for several days a warm place for people to stay who had lost power in their home. Our West Fort Worth campus for a short time is going to offer uh, a place for another church's young adult ministry to meet because their building was damaged. And so let me just remind you, in any season... The people of God can always live on mission for God. So keep your eyes open. And one more thing. Because this is a generous church, we're able to set aside a significant sum of money to help people in our church who suffer damage to their home. The scripture says to do good to all men and especially to those in the household of faith. And so if you're a Mill Hill's member, and you have some damage to your home, and you don't have the financial resources to deal with it, reach out to us. You can go to thehills.org slash snowstormrelief. You can go to the app and click on uh, more, and there's a form there. And if you'll fill that out, we will respond as quickly as we can, and we will get through this together. Now, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We're in a series we've titled Second-Guessing Jesus. And to get there, I want to start with a story of a young 16-year-old girl whose father was allowing her to go on her first car date. But when he opened the door and the date arrived, there stood a man who looked to be in his mid-40s who had lived a hard life. His motorcycle was parked on the street. His face was covered with piercings and tattoos. His hair was long and stringy. The father immediately shut the door and turned to his daughter and said, I'm not very sure about this. And she said, what do you mean, Daddy? Well, I'm not sure that your date is very nice. She said, Daddy, if he wasn't nice, would he be doing 1,000 hours of community service? <laughs> now, I love the story because it just shows that two people can look at the same person and come to different conclusions. And that happens a lot of times with the way we look at people and the way God looks at people. You see, when we talk about second-guessing, it's not that most of us doubt whether God is real, but sometimes we wonder if he is right. And this especially is true when God seems to endorse the wrong kind of people. There were many charges made against Jesus that were totally bogus, but one charge or frequent criticism had validity. That Jesus was a friend of sinners. That Jesus was always in the presence of the wrong kind of people. So Mark 2, look at verse 13 and 14 with me. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, you can't appreciate the story if you don't understand the tax collector situation. And my problem is I don't have a a cultural equivalent to compare it to. Because we don't live in a country occupied by a cruel, oppressive foreign power. Jesus was born into that world. The Romans ruled by force, by cruelty, and by might. How could Rome afford to put armies in the countries they occupied? They taxed the locals. They made the locals pay for the upkeep of the army they hated. How did they collect the taxes? They got locals to turn on their neighbors. They said to people, if you'll collect the tax, anything over what we get, you get to keep. So a tax collector wasn't just dishonest, he was disloyal. He wasn't just a cheater, he was a traitor. If you had lived in that time, you would have hated Levi. They were moral untouchables. Now Jesus is gaining momentum, the campaign is going well. He could have scored a lot of points by walking up to Levi and saying, How dare you? And instead, he walks up and says, Why don't you? And invites Levi, of all people, to be his disciple. Now, this is not a good PR move. No campaign manager would have suggested get a photo op with Levi, and Jesus is about to make it worse. Next verse. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Okay, stop. Bad move, Jesus. If you've got to eat with the guy, take him to (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Go to Cracker Barrel. Don't go to his house, why? Well, keep reading. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. You see, Jesus didn't have to make it worse. He could have avoided at least some criticism by not actually going to his house. Because think about it, if Levi throws a party, what kind of people are going to be on the invitation list? But apparently, some things were just more important to Jesus than a reputation. So the next verse, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? If you lived in that time under those circumstances with those cruel, oppressive Roman soldiers constantly harassing you you might have wondered the same thing. Their assumption seems completely reasonable. It's good to avoid bad people. Now, our problem is we read this story through 2,000 years of Christian history, and we've been taught to have a bias against Pharisees. And so I think sometimes we hear their question in a way that is unfair. Before you feel against them. Try to feel with them. Why were they second-guessing Jesus? Well, it's because their first priority was their commitment to what they thought the scriptures taught. And here's the fact. Their scriptures were full of warnings about bad people. The law of Moses consistently Warned against being seduced by the wickedness of sinful people, the wisdom literature constantly advised caution when choosing companions. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 12:26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 24:1 says, "Do not envy the wicked; do not desire their company." Or if you're a Jew and you go to synagogue and you get out your songbook. Every Jew knew the first verse of the first song in the songbook. Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. So behind their question is another question. Now who's right here? Jesus? Or the scriptures? Because the scriptures say it's good to avoid bad people. And you say, well, that's just the Old Testament. I can show you verses in the New Testament that say things like, do not be yoked together with unbelievers or bad company corrupts good character. And by the way, you know who believes that more than anybody? Parents of teenagers. Now, let's be honest. You want your kids to be careful about who their best friends are going to be. Because you know the power of good and bad influence. When I was in high school, every sin you could imagine was publicly paraded. My parents were thrilled that my best friends that I'd spent the most time with were other teenagers from my church youth group. See, I I want you to feel the tension here. I want you to lean into it. You cannot fully fathom the wisdom of Jesus' response If you don't first wrestle with the tension created by the people that second-guessed him. Because sometimes it's good to avoid bad people. In fact, when is it ever right to be with the wrong people? Well, let's listen to Jesus answer the question. Verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy... Who need a doctor? But the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Reputation is important, but redemption is more important. And you have to remember that when you live with the tension. So let's unpack Jesus' words just a little more, and I think he reveals three truths that are going to help. And here's the first. Jesus is saying no one is well. Now, Jesus is not afraid to use the S word. He uses it more than we do. He's not afraid to call sin what it is. He's not afraid to call people sinners. And this bothers unreligious people because they hate the idea that it implies that there's an absolute moral truth above me that I must surrender to. Unreligious people want truth to be inside them, not above them. But the way Jesus uses the word sinner bothers religious people. Because when we use the word, we typically do so by creating these morality grids where we decide these are the really, really bad sins. These are the not so bad sins. And these are the little sins that I'm just going to ignore because I do them. And so we create these grids so that we can decide who's good and who's bad, who's in and who's out. But Jesus doesn't divide people. He levels people. He's not suggesting that sin is that, not that bad. He's declaring no one is that good. He didn't come to call the righteous because there would be no one to call. This is the constant affirmation of Scripture like Romans 3. As it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. The first time I ever left the country, I was in my early 20s. I was a young preacher and I was going with a missionary to visit people in Latin America. Our first country we stopped was Chile. We went to a service in Santiago one evening. Now, I took enough Spanish in high school to be dangerous. So trying to use what I remembered, I would introduce myself to people. Here's what you need to know. The Spanish word for preacher is predicador. The Spanish word for sinner is pecador. So all night I was introducing myself as a sinner from Texas. <laughs> so when they called on me to preach, you could see people were surprised. He's a pretty good preacher for such a sinner. Well, here's the truth, I wasn't being dishonest. I was a sinner from Texas. I was a sinner before I ever became a preacher. I am a sinner even though I am a preacher. And if God lets me live long enough to retire from preaching, I will still have a sin nature that I must crucify daily and surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit. So listen, friend. Don't view yourself as more healthy because you only sometimes sin and other people mostly sin. You and I need Dr. Jesus as much as anybody does. See, the bad news is we are all sick, and the good news is that we can all be Jesus' friends because no one is well, but anyone can be healed. And so Jesus looked at the same person everyone else looked at, but he had no problem seeing Levi as more than a problem. When Jesus saw sinners, he didn't see problems. He saw patience. Jesus hates sin. He hates the disease. But he does not hate the people infected with it. And so, like a good doctor, Jesus visited the sick. When they said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus responded, That's like asking a doctor, why do you go to the hospital? You might catch something. You see, heaven's response to a world infected with sin was not isolation. Now, I bet in the last year, almost everyone I'm talking to has had to go through some phase of isolation. We get that. But heaven's response was incarnation. Jesus came like a doctor to be with the sick and not just to do palliative care, not just to take care of the sick while they died. No, he came to bring a miracle cure. Here's the thing. Jesus never denied that people didn't have the sin disease. What he denied was that the condition was hopeless. He didn't come to dismiss people who had the disease. He came to deliver people who had the disease. So when he walked up to Levi and he said, follow me. Now, what do those words imply? They imply, Levi, I don't want you to stay where you are. You can be more. Jesus' invitation is for people to leave where they are and become who they can and should be. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person the old life is gone a new life has begun I came across a story two weeks ago this happened recently in Conway Arkansas a young man there named Brenton Wynn high on drugs broke into the uh, Central Baptist Church and did over a hundred thousand dollars of damage and vandalism He was arrested, and because of some other issues, he faced some significant jail time. The pastor of that church went before the judge and said, our preference would be, if he's willing, that he go to Renewal Ranch. It's a faith-based recovery center we help and work with. And Britton chose to do that. He got clean. More important, he found Christ. And the picture you're seeing is Britton on a Wednesday night going back to the very church he tried to destroy to confess Christ publicly and be baptized. And he would tell you, I thought picking that church was a coincidence. Now I know it's a confirmation that God was pursuing me. Amen. Jesus is a doctor for those who are sick of being sick. And he cures them. Not by becoming sin like them, but by becoming sin for them. Again, the same chapter of 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So please hear me say, Jesus doesn't blow off sin. Jesus never says sin's no big deal. Jesus doesn't sweep sin under the carpet. Jesus puts sin under the blood. And because he is willing to do this for anybody, it should change how we look at everybody. Because everyone needs mercy most. Now we know Levi better by his other name, Matthew. And Matthew wrote a gospel just like Mark did. In fact, Matthew put this story in his gospel just like Mark did. But Matthew added something Jesus said that Mark did not include. So Jesus said, I have it come for the healthy, but for the sick. But in Matthew's gospel, he adds something else Jesus said. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you look at a sinner, and he's not afraid to use that word, when you look at someone who is sinning against God, try to look at them not through a merit grid, but through a mercy grid. See, I have good reasons for not looking at anybody through a merit grid. For one thing, I don't know anybody's backstory. How did Levi wind up a tax collector? No little Jewish boy had as a goal in life, I want to grow up and be the most hated person in town. There's a story there. We just don't know it. And every person you meet has a story. And they have burdens they carry and wounds they are not healed from. You don't know anything about. And I can't read anybody's heart. I don't know how much someone wants to be well. How much they've tried to do to get well. How much they've struggled with the thing that I want to judge. But most of all, I shouldn't look at people through a merit grid because I'm too aware of my own sickness to sit in judgment on how sick you are. We need to be very careful that we don't use a merit mentality to isolate ourselves from people that are actually much more like us than we want to admit. And Jesus told a story about two guys who went to pray in the temple. One was a tax collector and one was a Pharisee. And the Pharisee, praying through a merit grid, said, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, like that tax collector. And he listed all the big sins that were on his grid that he did not commit. The tax collector had a simple prayer. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said he's the one who went home justified because he's the only one willing to admit how sick he was. The scripture says in Titus 3, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new Life through the Holy Spirit. And if that's true of you, if God has saved you and given you a new life and you're becoming a better person because of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't that change how you look at everyone? I love the first line of a song we sometimes sing. Everyone needs compassion. The kindness of a Savior. Let mercy. Fall on me. Because when you know how much you need it, you don't second guess those who give it. So let me show you a picture of two men and one you'll immediately recognize as former President Bush. The other man for seven years served as the White House Office of Public Liaison during President Bush's administration. His name was Tim goglin And in the last year of Bush's second term, it was discovered that Tim goglin had plagiarized a number of articles that he had written. He was summoned to the White House. He was humiliated. He had brought embarrassment to his family, his friends, and most of all, the president. He says he walked into the Oval Office and said, Mr. President, I owe you. And before he could get out anything else, President Bush said, Tim, you are forgiven. He said, But Mr. President, and he tried again, and the president interrupted with a firm stop. And then he said, Tim, I've known grace and mercy in my life, and you're forgiven. Former President Bush has been very transparent about his own battle with alcoholism and how it wasn't until he met and surrendered to Jesus Christ that he became the person he wanted to be. So, what are we going to do with the tension? Jesus proved you can be anti-sin and still be pro-people. We can't eliminate the tension. We've got to navigate it. Both in the Old and New Testament say there are some times when it's just wise to avoid some people. Even Jesus said that. Some people are just so bad and ugly that it's best to shake your dust off your feet and walk away. But most people aren't evil as much as they're sick. And we need to see them not through a merit lens, but through a mercy lens. To not care more about our reputation than we do about the possibility of their redemption. And remember, Jesus didn't walk up to Levi and say, you're on probation. Get it together. I'll come back in a few months. Maybe you can join the team. Jesus never said, change and then follow. Jesus said, follow and start to change. And so I think it's good to be patient with patience. After all, that's what Jesus is doing for us. Even though our sins have been washed away, we still struggle with the sin nature, right? We still need mercy every day, right? We still have relapses, right? He's incredibly patient with us. And by the way, that's one reason why the church will always be open to the charge of hypocrisy. Well, I don't do church because there's so many hypocrites up there. Listen, this church is full of sick people. When the day comes that the church is not full of sinners, we need to shut the thing down. We are all sick, but Jesus is helping us get better. So, wherever you are right now, in-person worship, at home, watching online, turn to someone close to you right now, and I want you to say this. If you knew my whole story, you'd know there's hope for you too. I close with this. Ask for mercy all the time. And extend mercy all you can. Heaven will never second guess you for doing either. So let's pray. So God, I'm so thankful the Bible says that your mercies are new every morning because I need mercy every day. Every single day, I need a fresh supply of mercy. So God, give me more and more mercy as your spirit helps me become more and more like Jesus. And God, as I and as we receive your mercy, Help us to extend mercy so that more will want to start following Jesus. And in His name we pray. Amen.